Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In our previous speaking, I wanted to be a little bit vulnerable with you and share with you that the reason I came to the United States back in 1998 was in fact to spend an entire year in silence and in solitude um, before the Lord in a place in Arkansas. In fact, it was a Franciscan community in Arkansas that is within the tradition of Francis of Assisi. Now, in this particular community, there were single solitary monks, men who lived there. There were also single solitary women who lived there that interacted every day, but in their lifestyle decided not to get married so as to remain single before the Lord. There were also those at the particular monastery who were single men and women that have not yet married, that were looking forward to marriage, they just have not found Mr. Right yet. And at that community, there were also families, several families that actually had children and dogs and chickens and cats and the whole nine yards. It was a rather well-balanced community and they sought this one thing, and it's to be unto the Lord, in their work unto the Lord, obviously in their prayer and in their liturgy unto the Lord. Um, the way that they ate was unto the Lord. The way that they would drive a vehicle was unto the Lord. They saw it as their life's calling and their mission, if you will, to minister to Jesus. And it just so happened that wherever they went, they would also then, as a result, share the love of God. And I uh, observed this community and I observed the passion with which they, they poured themselves out onto the Lord. They gave up all their belongings. Um, the average person there owned a, a couple of pieces of clothing and uh, maybe a pair of sandals. They espoused simplicity. And for them, less was truly more. But it was all about God for them. Their life was to be spent on God. And it was a beautiful expression of that incidence where Mary, as it were, um, with her sister Martha, the serving one, Mary was the one attending to the Lord in devotion and in adoration. Not saying Martha didn't, which she did, but we learn from Mary that she, in a way, set aside the cooking and she just ministered to Christ. And this community took that very seriously in that we are to spend our lives on the Lord. When I left that community, as was always the plan, in 99, I came in touch with many Christians all over the greater America. Beautiful people who are also Jesus lovers, God seekers. But I... Um, I saw 
in general, more of a spirituality of a a God that serves them. It was a little bit more of a consumer mindset. I'm not for the Lord. I'm not his slave. He's actually for me. And, and he serves me. And rightfully so. God loves us. Rightfully so. God serves us. Rightfully so. I get it. But there was a subtle egocentric spirituality that I was introduced to coming out of a community where it was really all about God. And of course, the community had its own issues like all of us do. But there was a spirit of simplicity, of a God focus that I have not seen in, in many, many folk in the broader American church. And again, I have to be careful how I say that. I'm just speaking in generalities, but it's, it's, it's almost as though God is for me. I'm the center of the Christian life, and he needs to come and heal me. And of course, God loves to heal you, but he needs to come and bless me. And of course, God loves to bless you. It's, it's just as though God was at my beck and call, and he's for my revelation, and he's for my exaltation, for my leadership. He is for my blessing and my healing. And again, can I just say God is. God loves to bless people. But I have spent the better part of my ministry now, since 99, imploring people, reasoning with people, to give their lives away in the service of God, to take up their cross, to forego their agendas, to forego their will. And, and like Mary, like some of the men and women I saw in Arkansas, and just can you spend your life pouring it out on him? Now, that does not mean you cannot have a career. But I've noticed so many folk just need God to bless them so that they have a career. And... I've noticed folk are not kingdom-minded. Folk are not Christological in, in their heart. That is, they're saved, they're going to go to heaven, but right now it's all about me. It's about my university, it's about my degree, it's about my job, it's, it's about my money and my comfort and, and my blessing and my prosperity. And, and I get that. Hear me when I say, I get it. But it's almost as though every sermon, every book, it's almost as though every thought we have of God is it's almost only what can he do for me? And I have young people from around the world also who come to my school. And they come so that God can do something for them. And of course he does. He really does. <laughs> he heals them. He restores their identity. He delivers and all sorts of bondages and just downright guck in their lives get, get cleaned up and they are put back on the straight and the narrow. And God forgives, but I, I, I see so few of us because of the big forgiveness 
love in return because of the big healing go back to him and give her whole lives in return and even though i pursue a career it's so that my career can be for him so that it can be a platform for the propagation of his name and for his goodness i see so many of the young people and it breaks my heart god is only to serve me and maybe at the end of my life i'll give him a couple of dollars and maybe i'll go on a mission trip just to to show him hey i'm, I'm still for you but by and large this life is for me the next life is for god i want to continue this message from last time where jesus was down on the sea of galilee and he is loving on people and he is feeding them and he is healing them and he is just getting down into their world and really meeting them where they are and of course of course of course god does that and i praise him for it and yes he answers my prayer and he answers my need and he brings breakthrough for me thank you god but there in mark chapter 3 in verses 7 and onwards you see that jesus steals away from the masses and he separates and then he calls only a few with him to the mountaintop it says in mark chapter 3 those that he himself wanted he wanted to just be close to a few and put his heart into a few and equip them and not just feed them but just put a heavenly vision into them so that they can go and preach and they can go and heal they can go and produce kind after his kind it's as though he wanted to climb into them there at the mountaintop and then as they would go he would go through them will you be one of those that god only has to come down to your world and sort out your circumstances or are you one of those that will answer the call and go into his world climb the mountain with him and steal away into the secret place will you like moses leave the nation and go up on the mountain will you be like abraham that takes his son and goes to the mountain to go and offer to God, to go and give something to God. And that's the heartbeat of what I'm saying is, Jesus has a need, yes, but what is his need? His need is for men and women to want him. I remember Mother Teresa long ago making a statement to the extent that she said, Christ is thirsting to be thirsted after. He is so thirsty for folk to thirst after him. He is so hungry for folk to hunger after him. And not just what he can do, obviously we hunger for that, but where is the man that hungers just after him? And will pour himself out for his need.
Are you one of those, like in the Song of Songs, that will steal away and come and be with your beloved? Perhaps you're finding yourself in a place of isolation, a place of separation, a place of limited social interaction. And I want to tell you, God has done that for all of those that he wants to impart his heart into. So don't be surprised that you are alone. Uh, Friends have forsaken you, that you are on a mountaintop, separated from the valley. Would you open up your heart and let the beloved baptize you into his heart of all hearts? Songs, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. The voice of my beloved, now he comes leaping upon the mountains. Aha, mountains. Skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young heart. Now he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is glancing through the lattice. Every single word here is prophetic. One day, you will have a chance to look into it. Overtones are so beautiful here. But here comes verse 10. It says, My beloved responds and says to me, Rise up, my love, my beauty, and come away. And I think when Jesus is there at the Sea of Galilee, I think he speaks out this Solomon song spirit. He speaks it out in his spirit. Come away with me. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. Come away with me, my beautiful one, my fair one. It says, for now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Of course, it's a picture of spring when there's newness of life, the type of the resurrection. But I see the Lord in spirit calling out and saying to the folk, come away with me, my beloved, because the things I want to show you is like spring in your life. Things are going to pop up out of everywhere. Voices, you're going to hear new things. Come away with me. And that's what you've done coming to Legacy. You've just answered the call. And the Lord wants really everybody to leave the shore of life and come away with Him, only to return in due time. But very few answer the call. Very, very few. And how proud of I, I am of you, Bethany, Jenny, for saying, yes, Lord, I'll come away. Good for you guys, Matt, for doing that. So the time of singing has come. Hey, what do we do on the mountaintop? We sing! We're going to try to sing a lot over here, okay? It's not a talent show to see who sings the best. Singing really just betrays what's in your heart. If your heart is full of passion, don't you shout at the football game? If your heart's full of passion here, madly in love with the Lord, open up this thing and just let it betray this love in here, man. Bring it out. Flowers appear on the earth. Singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. And then the fig tree has ripened its figs. 
It's all prophetic again, but it's, it's really saying, come away with me. I'll feed you. I'll give you pure fruit, the fig. He says, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth their fragrance. And it says, rise up, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Come away. So, you are here to answer His need. He wants to pass on His heart to people, but very few people want God's heart. We just want a piece of His mind, do we? Not? Lord, can you explain to me? Lord, why? And I think God wants to give you a piece of His mind, but before He gives you a piece of His mind and explain things to you and clear up things for you, He just wants you to get His heart. Amen? And that's what we're after at Legacy. We are wanting to give you some of God's mind and some of God's agenda and some of His work at the cross, and we're going to do the best we can. Let not one of us leave this mountaintop saying, Hey, We've missed God's heart. Oh, that, that would be tragic. Now, in John chapter 2, we have an interesting account. Um, in John 2, it opens up where Jesus turns the water into wine. Hey, that's why a lot of people showed up to follow him because, I mean, it's like happy hour nonstop. You know, I want to be around this guy. He makes people happy through juice that ferments, hot wine. I love it. So John chapter 2 opens up. It's just awesome. A miracle. First miracle. Wine. People love it. Then we have another scene there in John chapter 2. And uh, it starts there at um, verse 12 where he cleanses the temple. You'll see in your Bible you may have there at verse 12 and onwards a heading that shows there's a new segment where Jesus really acts as a revolutionary. So, uh, on the one hand, he acts as a bartender. He's very gracious. Unlimited supply. And the next scene, he acts as a revolutionary. He makes a whip, and he just goes to town in Jerusalem. And he overturns tables, and he says, Hey, my father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a place of commerce and a place of extorting money from people and manipulation and robbery and this is not what I want. This is not what God wants. And so he's mad and angry. It's an amazing scene. You have him turning water into wine, helping people be happy, marriage, feasting, partying, celebration. The next scene, he is mad. Makes a whip right there. Furious. So, all of a sudden people take note. Oh, miracle worker. Wow. I want to be a part of that man's ministry. Next scene, revolutionary. Like a reformer. He's reforming all the chaos in the temple. An extortion. Reformer. I want to be a part of that man's movement. And so he gains a following there in Jerusalem. But people have ulterior motives. This group want to follow him because, well, he makes them happy. 
this group wants to follow him well because he seems to be a revolutionary, a messianic figure. It says in verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, it says, many believed into his name when they saw the signs which he did. They were very, very impressed that he can perform all sorts of miracles and make whips and, and overturn tables and act like a revolutionary. People were very, very impressed. I think you and I would be too. Verse 24. But Jesus himself did not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He has a crowd pushing in to follow him, to believe into him. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would say, ministry success. Wow, I've got a crowd. I've got influence. I'm a celebrity. So they're pushing in for whatever their motives were. And it says here, but the Lord withheld himself. He did not want to give his heart and trust his person to them because he knew all men. And when he saw these throngs of crowds pushing in, he could read into each one they're pushing in for the wrong motive. So he said, okay, I will not give myself to you. Isn't that interesting? Notice again verse 25. He did not need that anyone testify concerning man. He didn't need them to start a movement for him. He didn't need them to create a campaign and promote him. God the Father was going to promote him. But he knew that they were wanting to start a movement, start a revolution, start a reformation for their own greedy purposes and for their own worldview and for their own motives. And he said, you know what? I want to be... I don't want to be a part of this. And so he withholds himself from these folk. And it says here at the end of verse 25, For he himself knew what was in man. In other words, their motives were off. Does it make sense? So it tells me something about Jesus. He doesn't want just anybody to hang out with him for their motives and for their needs and their agendas. He has an agenda and he's looking for people in this earth who will touch his heart. People that will be with him for his need, for his purposes. People that will be like Mary and Martha, sit at his feet. People that will be his friends and care for him. Everybody else wanted Jesus for their own needs, for their own movements, for their own uh, revolutions. And everybody had an agenda. And he's like, hey, I'm not going to give myself to you. Because some folk are pushing in because they can get wine and bread. And he's like, okay, I'm done. No more of that. You're seeking me for the wrong purpose. And others are believing into him because he turned tables over in the temple. Whoa, this is a revolutionary. He's going to maybe, if he can do it in the temple, surely he can do it for Rome. Throw, overthrow Rome and boom, we're independent. So they, they have an agenda. So everybody is trying to use Jesus for their agenda. Yet he knows what's in the heart of men. And he says, you know what? I don't want you around me. 
I'm going to separate myself from you. I don't want to be around you. Don't want to be around you. I'm done with you. I see your motives. That's it. And you'll see that Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he goes up to the Galilee where he goes and he calls disciples. Those whom he himself wanted. People that can just be with him. People that can get his heart. People that can just sit at his feet. People that can just receive training that have no agenda. People that have left their boats and their nets and their father's business. People that left their traditions and their zeal and just leaving it all. People that leave their tax collecting. We have Simon the Zealot, even with Jesus, that left his revolutionary causes, his agendas. And he goes up onto a mountain and he says, I want you, I want you, I want you, because you guys are going to get my heart. I'm not here for the masses because the masses are using me towards their end. But I am going to use you towards my end. My father has an agenda. And I am here to enact it into this world. And I'm going to do it through a cross. And you're going to do it through my spirit. We are in partnership with God's agenda. My heart is for God the Father. Your heart is going to be towards me. And together we're in partnership with God. And God is going to fulfill His purposes on this earth. Now, I want you to come with me. You to come with me. Where are we going? You'll see. He takes them up onto a mountain. And he ministers to them the richness of God. Why? So that when they go back into the valley, they would not preach religion, the customs of Judaism. They would not preach their agendas. They would not use Jesus for their manipulative purposes. They would speak the pure gospel of God. They would live out the economy of God. They would live fully the kingdom and the purposes and the authority and the power of God. But how will they be effective in the valley? <gasps> They've got to get his heart on the mountaintop. You see that? So in Jerusalem, he does a lot of things. But he doesn't entrust himself to them. He calls nobody from Jerusalem and say, hey, come walk with me. Well, he did call one from that area. Judas from Iscariot was from the area of Judea. He's the only disciple that comes from that religious environment of Judea. All the other disciples come from up north. All that to say, the Lord has a need and it's that His heart would be touched. Come away, my beloved, for an interaction of love a transference of my being into you. So that when you go live, you don't represent Judaism anymore. You represent heaven.